Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. So there was this older pastor, like David in my age, and he was invited by this young couple for a meal. So he went along and the couple weren't quite ready, so they said, just... Just stay in the lounge. And um, the little son like, was playing in the lounge. So the pastor was waiting. He could smell something. It smelled delicious. So he said to the little boy while the couple were in the kitchen, gee, I wonder what's for dinner. And the little boy said, we're having goat. He said, goat? Oh, I'm surprised. I've never had goat. It smells delicious. Um, where did they get the goat? And he said, I don't know. But my mom and dad said, we're having the old goat for supper tonight. <laughs> I pray that the word is not like an old goat. I'm trusting for lamb to be brought to you today. We're in Leviticus. If you look at the book of Leviticus, Exodus ends with sin. It ends with Israel rebelling against God. They've been given the Ten Commandments. They rebel. They make this golden calf. And I mean, it's just a terrible, the last five chapters are just about ceremonial instructions, but 33, 34, 35, it's just, it's a mess. And so Leviticus 1 verse 1, God speaks to them from inside the tent and they outside the tent. Then you've got all the instructions and what God brings to them in Leviticus. So that by the time we get to numbers, we see it's, it's working. Because no longer is God speaking to them with them outside and him being inside. But God speaks to them and Moses is in the tent. I want to give you a summary. It's like just. If you want to get Leviticus, this is it. It's a quote directly from Leviticus, but it's in 2 Corinthians 6. So Paul's referencing Leviticus, and this is what he says. The first part is Leviticus, and there's a part from Isaiah. If you want to know what Leviticus says, it's this. I will live in them and walk amongst them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers. And separate yourself from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. And I'll be your father. And you will be my sons and daughters. Can we pray together, please? Lord, you are a holy God. And and you have made us holy. And we are called to be separate and be distinct and be different. Father, I pray that as the word comes, you would make up my weakness. Lord God, that I would be able to communicate clearly. And I pray for the hearts of my brothers and sisters to to hear clearly. Father, that we would not fall into moralism or legalism, nor would we go the other side and be lawless, Lord God. But I pray the gospel truth of being pure before you and living right before you would be heard and grasped as a fresh revelation. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three great revelations 
in the book of Leviticus. And this is the first one, that God is holy. And by holy, I mean flawless. I mean separate. I mean distinct. Sue generous is the Latin term. One of a kind, set apart, absolutely perfect. God is holy. If you consider the sun, using that as an analogy, the closer you come to the sun, you more, the more you feel its power. And eventually you get to a place where you're going to be fried. All right. If you go to nuclear warfare, which the Russians are talking about these days, one, a one megaton bomb would destroy Johannesburg. Every second, I mean, this just blows my mind, every second, there's the equivalent of one trillion, a trillion one megaton bombs going off. That's how vast the sun is, how powerful it is. The power from the sun, every second, is enough to power the whole world for 500,000 years. The power that comes off the sun for one second. And the Parker Solar Probe, this famous probe that went towards the sun, it could only come to five million kilometers away from the sun. Any closer, it's going to be fried. It's barely comprehensible to consider how powerful the sun is. Yet the sun is nothing compared to the power and the glory and the holiness of God. God is described, whoopsie, God is described as holy, holy, holy. He's not described as good, 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 or powerful, 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 or kind, kind, kind. But he is described as holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah, when he gets the revelation of God and his holiness in Isaiah chapter 6, what is his response? He falls on his knees and he says, woe is me. We cannot fully grasp the holiness of God, God in his perfection. And this is the first great message of Leviticus, and you can read it yourself. Second message, and it's mind-blowing, is that he makes us holy through the sin offering and the purification offering and the guilt offering and through the day of atonement. And, and you know what? It's at great price and it's at great cost. Through these sacrifices, which are messy and there's a whole lot of blood, the people of Israel were made holy. No longer would they be carrying the shame of their sin and no longer would their sins be held against them. So too with us. The one perfect, spotless lamb, Jesus Christ, came and died for us. Washed my sins and your sins away. And made us holy. <laughs> that we don't earn it, we, we can't earn it. It says in Ephesians 1 verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, through his sacrifice, through this perfect sacrifice. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So, God is holy. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we are made holy. We are made acceptable. 
We don't receive the consequence of our sins. We can approach the sun, as it were. We can come into the presence of God. But now the third great revelation, and this is what I want to talk about today. God is holy. We made holy. But we are called to be holy. And this is that narrow line that I prayed. That we don't become moralistic and legalistic. Nor the, neither are we lawless or antinomian. This is what God says to the Israelites. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself. Be separate, be different. And be holy, for I am holy. Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say, be holy because I am the Lord your God and I am holy. And again, consecrate yourself and be holy because I am the Lord your God. Just as Israel was called to be separate and dedicated, we as God's sons and daughters are called to be in the world, but not of the world. We're called to be different. We are invited. No, more called. No, more. We are commanded by God to be holy. In Galatians chapter 5, he says this. Paul writes, he says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I think of the life that I used to live in, some of you as well, not all of you, and God's saying, don't go back there. You've been forgiven, you've been set free, you've been washed. Don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back. But live in the freedom. We heard the message today by the Spirit. Live in the freedom that God has for us. So we are called to be holy. Now, Leviticus 19. It's just amazing. It starts off and it says, be holy. And then he, he unpacks what being holy looks like. And it's beautiful. It's honor your father and mother and Respect the aged, and it's have this relationship with God. It's the vertical, and then there's a whole lot about the horizontal, about the poor and being kind and not lying and not cheating and not stealing and not revenging and, and leaving things for the poor to get. And you know what? You read Leviticus 19 and you go, if we all did this, this world would be paradise. Just read Leviticus 19. And at the end of Leviticus 19, it says this, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Imagine if we all loved our neighbor as we love ourselves. But we don't. We are flawed. And we seem to be incapable of this perfection. So what is holiness? And how can we attain it? Greg, thank you for this definition. I just love it. Holiness in the biblical view does not, means not moral faultlessness. Only God is perfect. Only God has never sinned. So it's not moral faultlessness, but it's transparency to the divine. It's God's light shining into us, us receiving it and, and shining it out again. To be holy is to reflect the glory of God in our thoughts and our actions, that our minds are not twisted and turned. And our lives are not twisted and turned. 
Holiness involves discipleship under the cross. It's taking up our cross. It, it's about bearing witness through our words and our deeds that people look at us and go like, what is it about you? And you get to testify, I'm a good person. No, you get to testify that Jesus has come into my life and he's transformed me from the inside out. It is not wholeness of personality, but the fear of God that, characters, that characterizes those who pursue biblical holiness. Holiness in its perfection belongs to God alone. But we can reflect and testify to this holiness in the witness of consecrated lives. Come with me on a time travel. Go back 2,000 years. Rome, first century AD. And you come and you meet somebody who's a pagan. And Christianity is just starting to come to Rome. And, and he's a friendly neighbor. He's not hostile, not trying to throw you to the lions. And he asks you these three questions. He says, I, do, I don't understand Christianity. Please, can you explain to me this? Where is your temple? Okay, we've got temples up the road, temple to Jupiter. We've got these temples. Where is your temple? And, and you respond and you say, well, well Jesus is our temple. We meet the Father in Jesus. And, but there's more. I'm actually the temple. I'm the temple. And God dwells in me. And the guy's like, interesting. <laughs> and then he says, okay, tell me about your priests. And you say, well, we've got apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers, but, but their job is really to equip the saints, just to help them, you know, build them up. But really, we've got a high priest. Jesus. And all of us are called to be priests. Every single one of us, we are consecrated and set aside. The, the guy's mind blown. And then he says, and what about your sacrifice? And you go, we don't sacrifice daily, weekly, monthly, annually. One sacrifice. It was so good. It was so perfect. The spotless lamb that our sins and everything is washed away. But we are called to be living sacrifices. We are called to lay our lives down, not to, not to earn salvation, but out of love for God, because we're not going back to our old way. So, where's your temple? I'm the temple. Where are your priests? I'm the priest. And where's the sacrifice? I'm the living sacrifice. But more than that, it's Jesus. So the question remains, how can we be holy in this corrupt world? Anybody struggle? Okay, don't lift up your hand. Okay? We all struggle. We all struggle to be, to be holy in this corrupt world. And I saw four incredible hacks in the book of Leviticus. How God spoke to the Israelites and the Levites how to live holy lives. And the first one, don't touch dead things. <laughs> All right? Don't touch that, which is lifeless. It says the priest must not make himself unclean by touching a dead person. Now, in many cultures then and now, when somebody dies, 
I don't know if you're from this culture, you would embrace the dead. You would kiss the dead. Some people would lie next to the dead. Well, there's an incredible account. Oh, sorry, one more point. God's instruction to the Israelites, I believe, saved millions of Israelites from dying of diseases. So firstly, this was good science and, and good medicine. But there's this incredible account of a man called Ignaz Semmelweis in a book called None of These Diseases. 1847 in Vienna, he was an obstetrician and he was involved in helping women with their babies, childbirth. Many pregnant women checked into his ward. He was responsible. One in six women never checked out. 18% of them died. And when they did the autopsies, it was terrible. The, the infections under their skin, in their chest cavities, in their eye sockets. And he was incredibly distraught about the mortality that was happening under his governance. If a woman went to a midwife at their home, the mortality was 3%. But here it was 18% with the so-called best treatment. And he tried everything he could to get rid of this carnage. He got women to lie on their sides because he thought maybe that would help. The priest would ring bells and he got them to ring the bells softly. He was worried about that. And as he contemplated this problem, he noticed the young medical students. What they would do is they would perform autopsies on these young mothers. They would then wash their hands in a bowl of bloodied water. They would wipe their hands on a common towel, and then they'd go look at another live patient. And we appalled at that. But at that stage, that was modern technology. They didn't know about germs. They thought diseases were caused by atmospheric conditions and by cosmic telluric influences. I don't even know what that means. So he ordered that every single doctor and med student, after seeing a patient or a cadaver, would wash their hands in a chlorine solution after every examination. Wash your hands. <laughs> Death rate dropped from 18% to 1%. Dr. Semmelweis discovered, or actually rediscovered what was in the Bible all along. What does it say? He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean, must purify himself with water on the third day and on the seventh day, and then he will be clean. God had known all along, if only we'd learn from Scripture. But God's Word isn't just talking about the dead in the natural. And he's not talking about people who don't know Jesus because we're called to make disciples. We're called to engage the lost, the unsaved, the pre-believers, whatever you want to call them. And Jesus was friends of tax collectors and prostitutes. So what are we saying? We're not called to touch dead things that bring death to us. We are made for life. We are made to pursue life. There are things that I can't touch. They might be different to you. There are movies that I can't watch. 
There are things that I don't do because if I do, they bring death to me. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2 verse 22, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. What are the dead, lifeless things that, that you keep touching? That you're thinking about? That you're consuming? That you're watching? That you're saying? Jeremiah 29 verse 8 says, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Choose life. Nick and I used to live in this cute little house in Kensington and um, had these beautiful floorboards. And one very hot summer, we got a rat. Anybody ever had rats? Okay, so the way to deal with this rat was I was going to poison this rat. I felt like I was going to be the hero of the family. All right? So I put rat, rat ticks all over the place and um, I got the rat. All right? Rat disappeared. And then, and then all of a sudden, we started to get this terrible smell in our bedroom. And, and we figured it out. This rat had eaten this rat and had scurried under our floorboards and was very low but, and was, had died and was decomposing, frotting right there under our bed. We didn't have the money to pull up the floorboards. We tried to endure this. But in the peak of summer, it was atrocious. I mean, dead rat. It felt like the dead rat was like sleeping next to me, you know? <laughs> Eventually, what we did was we moved out of that bedroom. We ran away from the dead stuff. We took down the curtains. We just got out of Dodge. We ran away from the dead stuff. Eventually, the rat dried up under the floorboards, and there was no longer a smell, and we could, we could go back into the room. That rat is still there. We sold the house. <laughs> Pardon? It's buried there. It's a nice way to say it. We fled the dead stuff. Sometimes you're not meant to negotiate, philosophize, hypothesize, rationalize, some things you just run away from. You just move away from. Just run away from stuff that kills you. Some of you are strong in some areas. Some of you are weak in some areas. The areas that kill you, just run from them. There was an old movie, I think maybe only John or David will know this, a TV series rather, called The Bob Newhart Show. And there was this famous psychiatrist, and he was just, just funny. And this one particular patient came to him, told him the story, and he looked at the patient, and he said, he shouted at her, and he said, Stop it! Just stop it! <laughs> <laughs> don't touch dead things. Don't philosophize, don't hypothesize, don't rationalize. The stuff that is killing you, just stop it. Okay, next point. And I don't know what I'm doing here. This isn't working. If we could move the slide, please. There we go. Imagine you're a Jewish man 
and, Levit and uh, Loretta did such a great job last week. It's your sin, it's your sacrifice, you bring it to God, the priest lays it on the fire, remember? But I want to highlight something to you in that. There was another person involved. A.B. Cohen, he sinned last week and he brought his sacrifice. Now two weeks later, he's done it again. So he brings another sacrifice. And, and in my imagination, that priest would be compassionate and kind. And he would receive him as he came and he said, I've, I've blown it again. So this is what the Bible says in Leviticus. When he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. The very famous Brene Brown, who might be a Christian, I haven't seen either way. She wrote this book called The Gift of Imperfection. And in, the book of, in this book called The Gift of Imperfection, the imperfection is yourself, that you give yourself. She talks about two kinds of courage. Extraordinary courage, which is when you stand in front of a gun or go to war. And then she talks about ordinary courage from the French word cour, which means heart. And ordinary courage is about bringing your heart to the table. So Leviticus tells us when you sin, it's not just you and Jesus, but come before somebody if it's been something significant and receive some, some help. And the Bible says, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Last week, I was having a tough week and I was struggling with some stuff. I met a friend of mine at Fornos, having coffee, having breakfast. I just said to him, I'm wrestling with this. I've prayed about it. But I'm just, I can't shake this thing off. He prayed for me. I confessed to him. He prayed for me, and just the burden lifted. Now, the Roman Catholics, and there'll be many Roman Catholics in heaven, the Roman Catholics describe confession as a sacrament. As Protestants or Pentecostals, Evangelical Charismatics, we don't see it as a sacrament. And yet, there's something in confession. There's two extremes. The one extreme is to put every single thing that you've ever done on social media. Like even have a head cam and everybody can see continuously what you do. The other extreme is nobody knows what you're dealing with. The middle path is that you have godly men, godly women in your lives who will compassionately deal with you and help you and not judge you, but pray for you. And you'll move forward. Remember what we're doing. We're looking at hacks for us to be holy. Don't touch dead things. And then if you have, if you have, if you are, then confess. Third, make right. We've all messed up at times. And apologizing is really important. And I'm going to talk about the five languages of apology in a moment. This was what was instructed to the Israelites in Leviticus. Leviticus is such a great book. If he has sinned and realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression, so here it's talking about you've done something wrong to people 
you've taken from them. He shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it, put on 20%, and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. There are six things that as children we learned in kindergarten. Share, play fair, don't hit people, put things back where you found them, when you go out into the world, hold hands, watch out for traffic and stick together, when you hurt someone, say sorry, and lastly, clean up your mess. Doesn't it make sense that you should teach our children that? But it applies to us as well. You can't pay for your sins, and that's not what we're saying. But you can, and you should, make right to the extent that you are able. This is what it is to be holy. Imagine if everybody did this in the whole world. Imagine if everybody who had stolen from you returned and gave 20%, plus inflation, maybe plus interest. I've shared this before, forgive me if you've heard it. When I recommitted my life first to Varsity, God had me go back to my neighbor and apologize to Mrs. Dutois for stealing her roses. And she said, oh, Roger, I knew you liked my flowers. You know? And then I went to the bottle store that I'd worked at in my Varsity vac, and I said, we stole a whole lot of booze from you, you know? in December. And I'm shivering now because I'm trying to study law. I think I'm going to become a lawyer. If I get a criminal record, this ain't going to happen. <laughs> but I'm willing to make restitution. They look at me and say, well, we've just bought out this company, so we don't care, so off you go. <laughs> I was a very relieved 18-year-old. But we are called to make right to the extent that we can. Gary Chapman in his book, Five Apology Languages, says this. Firstly, you should express regret. I feel really bad that this happened. I'm so sorry. Secondly, accept responsibility. I'm sorry for this. It's my fault. I was wrong. Third, genuinely repent. I am so sorry for this. I never want to do this again. Four, request forgiveness. Please, will you forgive me? Please, will you accept my apology? And then lastly, make restitution. I'm sorry for X, Y, Z. How can I fix this mess? I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for crashing your car. Can I get you a new car? Can I pay the insurance? Imagine how beautiful the world would be if we all made right. Fourthly, and last, so these are the hacks for us to walk and be holy. Do not leave the tent. Okay, so what was the tent? Wasn't their own tent? Wasn't it meant to stay in that tent? It was the tabernacle. It was the tabernacle of God. And so God gives us instruction to the priests and to the Levites. When they were being consecrated in Leviticus chapter 8, they were told to stay in the tent of his presence for seven days. I mean, like kind of mind blow, my mind blows. We're not supposed to eat, bathroom, food. You know? But they were called to stay there. And, and think about what happened to Moses. 
Moses, when he, he dwelt in the presence of God, the glory of God came so upon him that he had to wear a veil because people couldn't bear to see. Spending time in the tent of meeting, in the tent, just transformed him. Think of Joshua, this rough spy who went with the 12 spies in, later became the head of, the, head of all the armies and led Israel. He dwelt in the presence of God, and he was transformed. And the priests were told to stay here in the, in the dwelling place, in the tent of his presence. What does this mean for us? It means the Holy Spirit. John 7 verse 37, Jesus stands up and, and says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, at the moment when they should have been satisfied with religion, he says this, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of him, out of his innermost beings, will flow rivers of living water. By this he meant the Spirit. The Spirit of the living God should be dwelling in us and should be bubbling over in us and coming out in our deeds and our actions and the power of God in our lives. The New Testament equivalent is wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. It's Ephesians 5 verse 18, this verse here. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And what's the sign that you're filled with the Spirit? There's power to be a witness. There's boldness and there's courage and courageousness and radicalness for God. And the fruit of the Spirit becomes manifest in our lives. What is the fruit of the Spirit? It's love. It's joy. It's peace. You want to know if you're filled with the Spirit? Just do a self-audit. Do you have these? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's Galatians chapter 5 from verse 19. Just the verse before that, the opposite. If you're not full of His presence, this is what you'll see. The deeds of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, it's like flirting and carrying on, and things like this, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, that's New Testament. So how do we avoid the deeds of the flesh? We pursue His presence. We pursue more of His life, more of His grace, more of His power. I can't do it in my own strength. You can't do it in your own strength. Let's be for what we're for, before God. And if your, if your vessel is a little bit empty, then today don't leave this place without receiving a fresh touch. There's going to be ministry team, people to pray for you. If you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, come forward. We'll pray for you. If you're dry, then acknowledge it and pursue the presence of God. 
recap for a perfect world. Let's not touch dead things. Let's confess. Let's make right. And let's not leave the tent. This is what we want. We want what God wants for us. I will live in them and walk amongst them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Isn't that what you want? Therefore, come out from amongst unbelievers and separate yourself from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters. Let's pray. I want to speak to believers first. If this word is spoken to you and there's some action that God is prompting you, I'm going to ask that you stand. If this word is spoken to you and maybe there's dead things that you're touching and you just know you've got to stop doing it, maybe you need to make right. This isn't a salvation call. Maybe you need to confess. Maybe you've been dealing with the sin and you just need to speak to somebody about it. Or you need just a whole lot more of the Holy Spirit. Just stand to your feet now. And we're going to pray. I know there's more of you. <laughs> there's more of you that need the Holy Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit. Father, I pray your grace on your sons and daughters now. Lord, to make right, to confess, to stop doing what they're doing where they're touching dead things. And I pray for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon them. I stand with them, Lord God. I want more of you, Lord God. Come upon us, Lord God, and fill us. May we not leave the tent of meeting, but may we be full of the Spirit. Jesus name Amen just with every head bowed I want to give an opportunity to you if you know you're not right with God you sense the separation between you and the Father your sins are separating you his heart towards you is one of love one of kindness and that's why he sent Jesus to pay the price what is required of you though is acknowledgement Jesus said if you confess me before men I will confess you before the Father so I'm asking you if, if that's you will you confess Jesus will you say I need Jesus if that's you I'm going to pray for you lift up your hand who of you need to come home who of you know God bless you see those hands who of you know your sins are separating you from the Father and maybe it's maybe you've done this before maybe you've never done it doesn't matter alright this is logistics could we all stand please just everybody please stand if you lifted up your hand and even if you didn't but you you know you should have won't you please come to the front now and can we just celebrate them as they come forward God bless you there's a few more
Thank you, Lord. As, as people are coming, I want you to know this. You do not have an infinite number of opportunities to come to Jesus. Don't be deceived. Because your heart just gets harder and harder when you don't respond to these moments. If you know you need to do it and you're saying, I'll do it next week, don't live with that mindset. If you know you need to do it, come forward now. Pastor Sam, won't you lead these people in a prayer, please? Amen. Praise God. All right. Let me remind all of us that there is a party in heaven when one sinner gets saved. So let's have a party. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this men and women that are standing here. So family, I'm going to ask you to join in the word of prayer. All of you who are standing here, please uh, repeat this prayer with me. And you're praying this prayer from the depths of your heart as you commit your life to the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We accept you as Lord and Savior of our lives. From today, we will live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One more round of applause. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.